The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Dr. Seuss. There are thousands upon thousands of amazing, helpful books out there. My goal is to read them and share how we can implement the wisdom to improve our lives, the lives of the animals, and even help save the world. Welcome to Zoo Notable, taking wisdom from self-improvement, conservation, and animal-related books, and using them to help us become the best versions of ourselves. Whether you are an animal care professional or just a lover of nature and life, Zoo Notables helps you grow and level up your life. Season's greetings to everyone. Welcome to Zoo Notable, enriching the mind to become the best versions of ourselves for our families, our communities, and the world. Yesterday was Christmas, a holiday I grew up celebrating and one that has a lot of deep emotional meaning to me. So I thought to celebrate this beautiful holiday, I'd share some ideas from my absolute favorite story of all time, the Harry Potter series. Now, rather than just pick one of the books, I actually scoured the books and picked one big idea from each novel to share just how clever and how witty J.K. Rowling could be. I'm going to try not to spoil anything for those who may not have read the books before, but as I am going to be discussing some plot points that carry over from book to book and also just carry the plot over the series, this is your one and only spoiler warning. So let's jump into the wizarding world of Harry Potter and find all the wisdom we can gain from the popular boy who lived. And we're just going to kick things right off with book number one, Harry Potter, and the Philosopher's Stone, and our idea is the mirror of Erised. Quote, So, said Dumbledore, slipping off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry, you, like hundreds before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Erised. I didn't know it was called that, sir. But I expect you realize what it what, by now what it does. Harry shook his head. Let me explain. The happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Erised like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. Does that help? Harry thought, and then he sl said slowly, It shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes and no, said Dumbledore quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You who have never known your family... See them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, see himself standing alone, the best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what this shows is real or even possible. The Mirror of Erised. This is such a fascinating uh, object from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Harry looks into it and sees his whole family surrounding him, family that he's never known. Ron Weasley looks into it and sees himself as head boy and holding the Quidditch cup. So what do you see when you look into it? Now, there's, just, there's a really long chat that can be had about the passage, but for right now I'm just going to hone in on some of Dumbledore's wisdom at the end of that passage. He says, it does not do to dwell on the dreams and forget to live. Remember that. 
Now, when witches and wizards get lost in the enticing mirror, it kind of reminds me how some of us can get lost in the real-life equivalent of a vision board. Now, to be honest, science says that reflecting on what's important to us and where we're headed is actually a really wise thing to do, which are what vision boards are meant to help. But we don't want to get lost in the idea of our goals. We need to focus on the process of achieving our goals rather than just how it feels when we've achieved them. And looking at a board that depicts what we want doesn't get us what we want. We do have to work for it. Remember, it does not, dwell to, to, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. And on another note on this, on this point, at the end of the book, The Philosopher's Stone, with Ron Hermione's help, Harry saves the Philosopher's Stone from Quirrell and from Voldemort via the mirror that we chatted about. Now, Dumbledore's brilliant idea was that only someone who wanted to find the stone but not use it for their own selfish ends could get to it. And Harry didn't want the gold or the everlasting light that the Philosopher's Stone promised. He simply wanted to get the stone to keep it safe in the process, serving something bigger than himself. And we're going to talk about this just a little bit later. Now, Tom Morris actually wrote a book called If Harry Potter Ran GE. And he says, the happiest people in the world are people who love what they are doing, regardless of whether wealth, fame, power, or elevated social status ever come their way. The most fulfilled people are individuals who delight in their work, whatever it might be, and strive to do it well. Back to you. Why are you doing what you do? And how can we focus on the process rather than the destination? And moving on to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. It is our choices we make. Quote, Professor Dumbledore, Riddle said that I'm like him. Strange likenesses, he said. Did he now, said Dumbledore, looking thoughtfully at Harry from under his thick silver eyebrows. And what do you think? I don't think I'm like him, said Harry, a little bit more loudly than he had intended. I mean, I'm in Gryffindor. I'm... But he fell silent, a lurking doubt resurfacing in his mind. Professor, he said again after a moment, the sorting hat told me I'd, I'd had done well in Slytherin. Everyone thought I was Slytherin's heir for a while be because I can speak parcel tongue. You can speak parcel tongue, Harry, said Dumbledore calmly, because Lord Voldemort who is the last remaining descendant of Salazar Slytherin, can speak parcel tongue. Unless I'm much mistaken, he transferred some of his own powers to you the night he gave you that scar. Not something he intended to do, I'm sure. Voldemort put a piece of himself in me, Harry says thunderstruck. It seems so. So I should be in Slytherin, Harry said, looking desperately into Dumbledore's face. The sorting hat could see Slytherin's power in me, and it puts you in Gryffindor. Listen to me, Harry. You happen to have many qualities Salazar Slytherin prized in his hand-picked students. His own very rare gift, parcel tongue, resourcefulness, determination, a certain disregard for rules, he added, his mustache quivering. Yet the sorting hat placed you in Gryffindor. You know why that it was. Think. It only put me in Gryffindor, said Harry in a defeated voice, because I asked not to go to Slytherin. Exactly, said Dumbledore, beaming once more, which makes you very different from Tom Riddle. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. 
That scene is packed with wisdom and it is carried on throughout the entire Harry Potter series. So where do we begin? Well, first there's that insight from Dumbledore that perhaps Harry has a bit of Voldemort in him. Now, I actually like to think that all of us have a bit of Voldemort in each of us. None of us are perfectly good, just as none of us are perfectly evil either. So how do we differentiate whether we belong in Slytherin or in Gryffindor? It is the choices we make. Now, for the record, even choosing Slytherin isn't the choice of evil. I do not believe your house dictates whether you are good or bad. For example, I think of myself as a pretty good person, and I am a Slytherin, as there are several other good characters in the Harry Potter series that belong to the Slytherin house. I am ambitious, almost to a fault, and I'm also cunning, almost to a Ravenclaw level. My creativity helps me with my goals. I do not believe these qualities make me good or bad, but it is how I choose to use my skills and characteristics that make me so. I choose to use my skills to help change the world, help people find their way in fitness and in saving the planet. But I could easily use my ambition, my cunning, and my creativity to make a huge corporation that makes me millions of dollars. Or, you know, maybe I couldn't. For all my ambition and creativity, I am pretty horrible at marketing. But anyways, I digress. What are some of the ways that you can use your choices and your personal characteristics for good? Now, what choices can you make today to help others and help the world? And how can we harness both the light and the dark part of ourselves, our Harry and our Voldemort, to help make the world a better place? There is no good or bad. There's only our choices that define who we are. Thank you, Dumbledore, for always reminding us that we always have a choice. And moving on to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, book three, we have the Patronus charm. Quote, Professor Lupin had taken out his own wand and indicated that Harry should do the same. The spell I'm going to try and teach you is highly advanced magic, Harry, well beyond ordinary wizarding level. It is called the Patronus charm. When it works correctly, it conjures up a Patronus, which is kind of an anti-dementor a guardian that acts as a shield between you and the Dementor. Harry had a sudden vision of himself crouching behind a Hagrid-sized figure holding a large club. Professor Lupin continued, The Patronus is a kind of positive force, projection of the very things that the Dementor feeds upon, hope, happiness, the desire to survive. But it cannot feel despair as real humans can, so the Dementors can't hurt it. But I must warn you, Harry, that this charm might be too advanced for you. Many qualified wizards have difficulty with it. What does a Patronus look like, said Harry curiously. Each one is unique to the wizard who conjures it. And how do you conjure it? With an incantation, which will only work if you are concentrating with all of your might on a single, very happy memory. Okay, so honestly, I think the Patronus charm is just one of Rowling's most genius ideas in the entire series. How do you defeat the despair and overwhelming of the encroaching Dementors? Only one thing will do. You must concentrate with all your might on a single, very happy memory. And note that this requires such mental strength that, as Lupin says, many qualified wizards have difficulty with it. So, 
think about some of your happiest memories. Again, just jot them down or just remember them for just one moment. Because I want you to remember this, science actually agrees with Lupin. The Patronus charm works. Robert Emmons talks about the research done in gratitude and how it helps ward off symptoms of depression. In his book, Thanks, he says, one simply cannot be relaxed and stressed at the same time. Try it. You can't. Relaxation drives out anxiety and vice versa. The Buddha said that hatred cannot coexist with loving kindness and dissipates if supplanted with thoughts based on loving kindness. You cannot be grateful and resentful at the same time or forgiving and vengeful. When we are savoring the moment, we cannot be regretting the past. So here is the science of the Patronus Chime. So try it with all your might. Remember your happy memory. And when life, or Dementors, gets you down, expecto Patronum. You've got this. Now Harry showed us how powerful believing yourself can really be at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry just saved everyone from the Dementors by conjuring up an epic Patronus, which Hermione... Our studious witch remarks is incredibly advanced magic. How did he pull this off? He knew he could do it because, well, as this story goes, he actually saw himself doing it. And with the help of a magical device called a time turner, Harry actually witnesses himself conjuring a full-blown corporeal Patronus. But I don't think that we need magic to know that we can do something as fantastically incredible. We just need to practice, and practice as many different ways to train the brain to react without even thinking. Now first we actually have Henry Ford who famously said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And it turns out that there's a lot more truth here than wit. Attitude counts for a lot. There's Carol Dweck and her research on this growth mindset. And if you think you can get better, and do something, you're right. Why? It's because you actually try to do better. But if you don't think you can do something, you're not even going to work, you're not even going to try and do the work necessary to even have a shot. There's also Mark Devine, who's a Navy SEAL commander, who tells us that we need to win first in our minds and then on the battlefield. But my favorite story is of of Lanny Basham, who's a gold medal winning peak performance coach with his book, With Winning in Mind. He tells us, you can imagine far more than you are currently can achieve. If you consistently rehearse what you want to achieve, what you, what you imagine can become a reality. He proved it with his own example when he wanted to set the record at a 400, which is a perfect score in sharpshooting. But, as he says, I had never actually fired a 400, even in training. Nonetheless, I vividly rehearsed shooting the first 100, and then another, and another. I visualized each of the last 10 shots building towards the record. I rehearsed what I knew would happen at that point. I, realized, I would realize that I was above the record. Next, I rehearsed hearing a voice say, that's okay, I do this all the time. And then I imagine shooting the final 10 easily and saying to myself, another 400, that's like me. I rehearsed the sequence several times a day for two months. In my first competition since beginning that rehearsal, I started with a 100 kneeling. My next two targets were also 100s. 
I began my last series with 10. 10, 10, 10. Only five more to go. 10, 10, 10. Then reality set in. I was above the record. I heard an internal voice say, that's okay. I do this all the time. I shot two additional 10s, setting the national record at a perfect 400. This is Harry's version. That's like me. I just conjured an epic Patronus. Let's do this. So what's yours? What's your Patronus? Let's win first in your mind. Think of some past successes and then see success in this current project. Know you can do it, do it because you've already done it. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these Notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. Next up is Goblet of Fire. And our idea is play it to your strengths, plus keep it simple. Quote, so, got any ideas how you're going to get past your dragon yet, said Moody? No, said Harry. Well, I'm not going to tell you, said Moody gruffly. I don't show favoritism me. I'm just going to give you some good general advice. And the first bit is, play to your strengths. I haven't got any, said Harry, before he could stop himself. Excuse me, growled Moody. You've got strengths if I say you've got them. Think now, what are you best at? Harry tried to concentrate. What was he best at? Well, that was easy, really. Quidditch, he said dully. And a fat lot of help. That's right, said Moody, staring him very hard, his magical eye barely moving at all. You're a damn good flyer from what I've heard. Yeah, but Harry stared at him. I'm not allowed a broom. I've only got my wand. My second piece of general advice, said Moody loudly, interrupting him is to use a nice, simple spell that will enable you to get what you need. Harry looked at him blankly. What did he need? Come on, boy, whispered Moody. Put them together. It's not that difficult. And then it clicked. He was best at flying. He needed to pass the dragon in the air. For that, he needed his firebolt. And for his firebolt, he needed... So... I absolutely love the allegory of facing dragons, and I just want to point out that this is what I say a hero story is all about. We aren't on a quest to fight lizards. We, are want, we want to face dragons. That's what this true epic adventure lies. So when you are facing dragons, or you know, per previously stated dementors like in year three, what do you need to persevere? What do you need to triumph? Well, as <clears throat> Professor Moody sort of, tells us we need two things. One, focus on your strengths. And two, keep it simple. So are you facing any dragons these days? Are you on an epic quest of your life? How are you going to persevere and succeed? Number one, what are your strengths? What do you enjoy doing? Or what are you good at doing? And what are some of the things that other people look to you for advice or suggestions? And number two, what is the simplest, easiest route to let your strengths shine through in this challenge or struggle that you're facing? Come on, whispers our big Y. Put them together. It's not that difficult. For book five, The Order of Phoenix, we have another uh, a big idea that, again, continues on throughout the entire series, and that is 
a power the dark lord knows not. Quote, there is no shame in what you are feeling, Harry, said Dumbledore. On the contrary, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. I don't understand. Voldemort tried to kill you when you were when you were a baby because of a prophecy made shortly before your birth. He knew that the prophecy had been made, though he did not know the contents. Dumbledore placed his pensive on the desk and raised his wand to his own temple. A silvery, silvery strand of thought clung to the wand, and Dumbledore deposited it into the bin. Swirling the pensive for a moment, a figure rose out of it. Draped in shawls, Sybil Trelawney's eyes were magnified to enormous size. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have a power the Dark Lord knows not. Now, if you've read the books, you know the power that Harry possesses that the Dark Lord knows not, the most tremendous power on earth, that is love. Love is what drove Harry to the Department of Mysteries, and love is what protected Harry from being possessed by Lord Voldemort during the battle. And love is what kept Harry going, even after losing so many of his loved ones. No spoilers, but Harry loses many friends and people that he considers his family in this series. Now, this, this love happens to be one of the most essential forces for a true hero as Christopher McDougall writes in Natural Born Heroes, what Plutarch taught them is this, heroes care. True heroism, as the ancients understood it, isn't about strength or boldness or even courage. It's about compassion. Now, Greeks created the heroic ideal. They didn't choose a word that means dies trying or massacres bad guys. They went with heroes, protector. Heroes aren't perfect. What tips them towards greatness is, this, is a sidekick, a human connection, who helps turn the spigot of the power of compassion. Empathy, the Greeks believed, was a source of strength, not softness. The more you recognized yourself and others and connected to their distress, the more endurance, wisdom, cunning, and determination you could tap into. So once again, I repeat, heroes care. Hero doesn't mean defeater of bad guys or slayer of demons. It means protector. A hero has strength for two. They have love. Now, this whole idea of hero relies on love and compassion, powers that the Dark Lord knows not. It's well known as the major theme of the Harry Potter series. Now, as an avid Harry Potter fan, I actually became enthralled in a style of music called Wizard Rock starring one of the band amply named Harry and the Potters. And they actually sing a song called The Weapon. And it's one of their most famous songs, the main song that they end their concerts with, as is always a big, huge crowd favorite. I'm going to link the video to the last concert that I attended back in 2019. But here are the lyrics to The Weapon. They go like this. We will fight till we have won, and Voldemort is gone. And I'm going to do... Whatever it takes, I don't care about whatever fate that prophecy says. No, I'm not afraid. Because there's one thing that I've got, one thing that you've got inside you too, one thing that we've got, and the one thing that we've got is enough to save us all. 
the weapon we have is love. The weapon we have is indeed love. It is a power the dark Lord knows not. So brandish your weapon proudly and stand up a hero. Now we have book six says the half-blood prince. We're talking about walking into the arena. Quote, but he understood at last what Dumbledore had been trying to tell him. It was, he thought, the difference between being dragged into the arena to, to face a battle to the death and walking to the arena with your head held high. Some people perhaps would say that there was little to choose between the two ways, but Dumbledore knew, and so do I, thought Harry, with a rush of fierce pride, and so did my parents, that there was all the difference in the world. So there are two ways to walk into the arena that is our lives, like we're being dragged in or with our heads held high. Now, when I read that, the very first thing I thought of was the passage from Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, which is named after the man in the arena speech that Teddy Roosevelt gave in 1910. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Now, I also think this sort of reminds me of a, back, a callback to book four, The Goblet of Fire, where Dumbledore is announcing to the students of Bo Bobaton, Hogwarts, and Durmstrang, who might be contenders in the Triwizard Tournament. He says, I wish to impress upon any of you wishing to compete that this tournament is not to be entered into lightly. Once a champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire, he or she is obliged to see the tournament through to the end. The placing of your name in the goblet constitutes a binding magical contract. There can be no change of heart once you have become a champion. So please be very sure, therefore, that you are wholeheartedly prepared to play before you drop your name into the goblet. We do not enter our name and accept the challenge that life is calling to us lightly. We are committed. We go all in, with our head held high, knowing what answering this call entails. So what challenge is beckoning you into the arena today? Let's walk in with our heads held high and our hearts full of courage. And we conclude the Harry Potter series with the Deathly Hallows, and we're talking about the greater good. Quote, Aberforth seemed lost in contemplation of his own knotted and veined hands. After a long pause, he said, how can you be sure, Potter, that my brother wasn't more interested in the greater good than in you? How can you be sure you aren't dispensable, just like my little sister? A shard of ice seemed to pierce Harry's heart. I don't believe it. Dumbledore loved Harry, said Hermione. Why didn't he tell him to hide then, shot back Aberforth. Why didn't he say to him, take care of yourself, here's how to survive? Because, said Harry before Hermione could answer, sometimes you've got to think of more than your own safety. Sometimes you've got to think about the greater good. This is war. You're 17, boy. I'm of age, and I'm going to keep fighting, even if you've given up. Who says I've given up? 
The Order of Phoenix is finished, Harry repeated. You know who's won. It's over, and anyone pretending it's different is kidding themselves. I don't like to say it, but it's the truth. No, it isn't, said Harry. Your brother knew how to finish you-know-who, and he passed the knowledge on to me. I'm going to keep on going until I succeed, or until I die. Don't think I don't know how this might end. I've known for years. Now, if you've read the Harry Potter series, you may recall that Harry is called upon to make the ultimate sacrifice, to give up his life for the greater good, a responsibility he knowingly and courageously accepts. And believe it or not, we are all called to do the same. Perhaps not in that literal sense, but in no way less powerful and meaningful. In The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, he says, When we quit thinking primarily about ourselves and our own self-preservation, we undergo a truly heroic transformation of consciousness. And perhaps best summing up the entire heroic saga that is Harry Potter, Campbell tells us, A hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. And all this leads us to question, to what have you given your life? You have your family, maybe it's the animals, conservation. All of these are valid and valiant efforts. We need it, and we need you now more than ever. So we're sending love and heroic courage to you for seeing the good and visualizing what we want in life, making our choices, remembering the good times and practicing our convictions, playing to our strengths, remembering our greatest asset as a hero is love, standing tall and courageous, and being the hero for all to adore and admire. And that's what I've got for this just amazing series. I could have shared just, again, hundreds of more ideas. So if you like to learn more wisdom from the Wizarding World, I, once again, cannot recommend these books highly enough. They're great family books to read to your children. They're great for long trips, um, you, again, in their car. They're great for conversation makers too. So just, you can check them out at your library. And if you're also inclined to listen to audio, you are going to absolutely adore Jim Dale's narration of the entire series. I'm sending you wonderful wishes this holiday season. Happy holidays and a wonderful, bright new year to you and your family. Take care and I'll catch you all next time. that's all I've got for this wonderful book. Let me know your thoughts. What big idea resonated with you the most? And how can you incorporate that into your life starting today? And share some of your favorite books that you love to see Azu Notable on. A gigantic thank you to my patrons, Rochelle, Laura, Sarah, Liz, and Stephanie. Keep working on becoming the best version of yourself today, tomorrow, and forever. For you, your community, the animals, and the planet. Take care and I will see you all next time.